The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Let us worship the Lord our God.
God in the heights. Praise the Lord, all the angels. Praise God, all the host. Praise the Lord, Praise the Lord, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for God commanded, and they were created. Come, let us praise you, O eternal God. With all in the heavens, the angels above, we praise you. With the sun, moon, and stars in the sky, we praise you. With dolphins and whales, fish in the sea, lightning and thunder, snow and rain, mountains and hills, desert and prairie, fruit trees and cedars, flowers and weeds, we praise you, O God. With rulers and presidents, prime ministers and judges, young and old, neighbor and stranger, we praise you, O God. Let all praise the name of God, for God's name alone stands above all others. God's glory shines over earth and heaven. So let us all praise and worship God together, in whose name we pray. Grace to you and peace, and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those gathered in our sanctuary and everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord to worship God today. And because it is in the name of the Lord that we have gathered, our word of welcome is one with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in Christ's house, and in that manner we greet one another. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, kindly to excuse me, sign the friendship pad, which should be on your pew, even if you are sitting in a pew by yourself, because we have stopped registering you for worship, and now that's our only way to contact you if we need to tell you anything about uh, anyone around you being sick with COVID or anything like that. So we do ask everyone, members and guests, please sign the friendship pad for that purpose. And also, I hope you'll join us for a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service in Old Buttonwood Hall, just out this door to my right and down a short ramp, where our deacons have prepared some refreshments for us, but most importantly, where we have the opportunity to continue in conversation with one another and to greet one another in Christ. There are a few things in your bulletin, your highlight, excuse me, a few things in your announcement portion of your bulletin for me to highlight this morning. The first is to note that tea and art, which would have been tomorrow, is postponed. But you'll see there is still an email address in there to RSVP to Diane Rogers. So if you wish to indicate your interest to be included in, in that postponed event, please do let Diane know about that. Our TNTs, our 20s and 30s group, have a hike upcoming. You can contact Annie Lecluse for more information about that. And we have a new members class scheduled for next Sunday, assuming we have enough folks to make a good class. So I would just extend the invitation to you, whether you have worshipped with us a few weeks or for years and years, or maybe even online only, if you feel that God is calling you to be a member of First Church, give me an email this week or a call in the church office so that I can include you for that class next Sunday. You may be asking, what is a new members class like? Well, the first thing we do is at 10 o'clock we gather and some of our elders will introduce themselves to you and tell you about some of the ministries of the church. We'll break for worship at 11. We'll enjoy lunch together after worship, and then I'll give you a, a brief history of the Presbyterian Church in general, and this congregation in particular. 
and those who then wish to be received into membership in the church are received into membership at that point. The whole thing takes a few hours, and we'd love to include you in that if that's something you'd like to do, if you feel that God is calling you to be a member of First Church. Now, before we move to our confession of sin, I'd like to call on Andrew Sin with a word about this evening's concert. Good morning. I'd like to just extend another invitation to um, an extraordinary concert tonight given by uh, my friend, George Mitsaros, who is visiting us for the first time from Hungary. Um, he has been here since Monday, practicing all week long, and it's truly a spectacular and exciting program. And I hope that you will come out and join us at 7 o'clock tonight for lots of organ fireworks. See you then. Knowing that we have a God who is merciful and just, let us turn to God in confession, first together and then in a time of silence. Holy God, we have turned our eyes from your goodness. Where you have been exceedingly gracious to us, we have seen only hardness. Where you have acted on our behalf, we see instead coincidence. Where our prayers were not answered to our satisfaction, we assume indifference. Our hearts are hardened to the mystery of your presence among us. Forgive us, we pray, and open our eyes to all your blessings. Make us aware of the gracious benefits you have given us, and always keep us in your care. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. transformed creation. God is among us making all things new. Claim this grace. Know God's forgiveness. Rise with Christ to a life made new. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven.
first scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Revelation in the 21st chapter. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them as their God. They will be God's people. And God will be with them. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Our second reading comes from John's Gospel in the 13th chapter, starting at the 31st verse. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Our final reading comes to us from the Acts of the Apostles, the 11th chapter, beginning at the first verse and continuing through the 18th. Now the apostles and the brothers and sisters who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, and there was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice came from heaven, saying, God, What God has made clean, 
you must not call profane. This happened three times, so that everything, <clears throat> excuse me, so that in everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that God gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. My dad's standard mealtime blessing goes like this. Heavenly Father, please make us truly grateful for this and all of our many blessings. Forgive our sins, bless our absent ones, and keep us safe in Jesus' arms. Clearly, I have heard it a time or twelve. However, one day, my dad messed with the formula. He added, and give us all a spirit of love and tolerance. And my mother and my siblings and I all started looking at each other. And finally, one of us spoke up so... Dad, what's with the love and tolerance? He never said another word more about it. Periodically, 
the phrase would creep in and out of his blessing. Sometimes we prayed for love and tolerance. Sometimes it disappeared. We would periodically ask him about that roving phrase, but nothing. So, Dad, no love and tolerance today? Personally, I think it's about my siblings, or perhaps their spouses. I once asked him, rather pointedly, Dad, you know what the verb form of tolerance is? I'm not sure you would really want to say to someone, I tolerate you. To which he replied, some days I'm doing well to tolerate folks. You know, the, the early church had a bit of a toleration problem, or so at least it seems. Now, it is very easy to Sunday morning quarterback things that seem self-evident to us today. Of course we know that you don't have to be circumcised to be Presbyterian. Of course we know that you are free to eat bacon if you want to eat bacon, or not to eat bacon if you don't want to eat bacon. Of course we know that a wool blend suit is perfectly fine. Of course we know that you don't have to become Jewish first in order to become Christian. We know all of these things. But the early church didn't know them. And that's the point of this story. For the early church, they had just begun to work their way up to tolerance when Peter blew the lid off the whole thing by baptizing some Gentiles. Now, Peter didn't just wake up one day and decide to scandalize the early church. He, too, worked his way up to it. It had to become clear to him. He took a bit of convincing. You heard his version of the story just a few minutes ago. In a series of seemingly bizarrely interconnected incidents, Peter progresses from tolerance to love in short order. Well, actually, no. The Bible doesn't record how Peter felt about these changes. But it does show he started acting like he loved the folks that, with whom he shared this experience. It reminds me of that old quote from C.S. Lewis that goes something like this. When you don't feel very Christian, just start by acting like one. Peter's change begins with a vision. A sheet is lowered down from the heavens with all sorts of animals in it and a voice from the heavens, which is incidentally not identified as God per se, but when a voice calls out from the heavens, it's generally wise to listen to what that voice says. The voice says to Peter, get up, kill, and eat. By no means, replies Peter. I have never eaten anything unclean. And that is sort of the same as saying, well, that is just not what I was raised to believe. It's all well and good for some other folks, but not me, thank you. I'll just hold on to what I believe. Don't mind me. I'll just be over there doing my own thing. And the voice replies, 
Do not call unclean that which God has made clean. Three times. Three times Peter hears this message. And then the vision is over. It's as simple as that. But we have been building to this vision for a very long time. The Gospel writer Luke has a pretty clear bias for inclusivity that he then develops throughout the Acts of the Apostles. Luke starts beating the drumbeat of equality early on in his Gospel narrative with his treatment of women. And here in Acts, he let it, lets it be known that he has learned that the Word of God has come even to the Gentiles. You know what a Gentile is? Well, the word comes from a derivation of a French word that means clan or tribe. And it's how the earlier translations of the Bible dealt with the Hebrew term goyim, which we encounter in the Old Testament, and the Greek term ethnoi, which we encounter in the New Testament. And what it boils down to is this, other. For a Jewish audience, it would have meant a non-Jew. Anyone who wasn't born from a Jewish mother. It's all the other clans and tribes. And it's not meant in an ugly way. It's simply a distinction. Jewish? Not Jewish. Throughout the Bible, God is always speaking of the Israelites, God's chosen people, as being a blessing to everyone else, to the Goyim and the Ethnoi. It just means everybody else. The problem arises if God's chosen begin to think of themselves as more important to God, or better. Then we have a problem. Whenever God's people, and this is true in every era from the first century to this century, whenever God's people stop thinking of themselves as distinctive and start thinking of themselves as better, there is a big problem. Because that is when distinctiveness, which is value neutral and can even be a good thing, turns into exclusivity which is decidedly not value-neutral. Now, in fairness to the early church, this could not have been an easy change. Letting go of old patterns isn't really ever easy, is it? Holding on to traditions is part of how we tell ourselves who we are. Now, I'll use myself as a case in point so I don't look like I'm after anybody at this moment. I love theological language. The more historical, the better. Because it is so rich and it is so exact. The words mean very specific things. So you can say something really tightly crafted by using the right words for the job. But if nobody knows what I'm talking about, well, I wouldn't be communicating very effectively, would I? I would need to 
let go of that jargon so that I could reach people, right? That's what's happening with the distinction between Jew and Gentile in this story. God's people are being asked to let go of something so that God can reach someone. This story is saying that if, if anything is not helpful to God's will of showing a distinctive way of life in the world, let it go. But I've observed these things my whole life. I can't just let that go. But in this instance, for this particular Christian community, it was time to let it go. Because from the sounds of it, what should have been simple dietary restrictions, part of a tradition that told them who they were, had begun to sound a little bit more like the notions of clean and unclean were bleeding over in ways that weren't helpful to the new thing God was doing in the world. Now some will say that this passage is just about dietary requirements. And that is the object lesson that the sheet contained. We might even believe that, except for what happens next. No sooner does Peter snap out of his trance than at the door are Gentiles seeking to meet with Peter. Peter's vision is about people. And Luke has been building to this moment throughout the story because there have been others, Samaritans, an Ethiopian eunuch, each of these stories edging us toward a showdown between faith and practice. And an essential question, can faith in Jesus Christ ever allow a practice of exclusion? Is the knowledge of God the exclusive property of one group? Or is Christ, as Scripture claims, the Lord of all? Because if Christ is Lord of all, there can no longer be any categories of clean and unclean, not for food and certainly not for people, if indeed Christ is Lord for everyone. And if that were not so, we wouldn't be here. Because we are the Goyim. We are the Ethnoi. We are the ones grafted into the work that God had already begun. We do well to pay close attention to that. Because the Gospel narratives, particularly Mark, Matthew, and Luke, have a sort of recurrent theme. As the followers of Jesus Christ are seeking to understand what the reign of God looks like, just at the moment they think they have it nailed down, it moves. 
This happens particularly often, by the way, in Mark's gospel, where the disciples are so often the foil for what Jesus is saying. They are, they think, oh, we got it, we've got it, Jesus, we've got it. And Jesus says, nope, nope, you've missed it. I'm actually saying this. And I think they're the foil for that moment because the lesson Jesus is trying to teach us is that the work of God is always bigger than what we can see and what we can think of. God's scope is always, in the words of the Ephesians, exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine, which is why we can never think we have God nailed down because God is always alive. God is always on the move. God is always working for redemption. God is always working for renewal. And God is always working for reconciliation. Reconciliation and anything that stands in the way of that, we need to let it go. Even if it is very precious to us. Because anytime we think we have faith sewn up, danger flares ought to be going off for us because we are potentially on the cusp of running afoul of God's will in the world. The minute any one of us, I include myself in this, starts thinking that we have matters of faith under control, watch out. God doesn't tend to let us pretend that we are God for very long. That's why we can never think we have it all sewn up, that what we think we know of God can ever be somehow proprietary information. We must always be looking for where God is saying to us, do it differently. Do it this way. Get up, kill, and eat. Inclusivity is one of the core values of this congregation. We may not always hit the nail on the head, but we are always trying, we hope, to be the people God wants us to be. And not because we are being blown about by the whims of culture, but because we have found this core value in God's holy word. In stories like what we read today. In stories like those that bookend this passage from the Acts of the Apostles. But if we ever think... We have nailed it down. We better begin to get nervous. Because God may be about to say to us, Don't ever call unclean that which I have made clean. Now naturally, I get that we don't all sit around thinking about the categories of clean and unclean. That's just really not the language of Presbyterianism. So maybe for us, our language is a little bit more subtle. I suspect we can all get a little bit attached to our attitudes, can't we? But if Christ really is Lord of all, then God's way is clear. Because all is an absolute term. It either means all or it doesn't. I love the end of Flannery O'Connor's short story, Revelation, 
at the start of the, by the way, it's a great story. You can find it online and read. It doesn't take that long. But at the start of the story, Ruby Turpin is sitting in the waiting room of her doctor's office with her husband, Claude, and she is making earshot comments about just about everyone in the room. And she's thanking God that she is not like all of these people around her. She's feeling very smug and very sanctimonious. Finally, after she's gone on for a while with this, a young woman who has been sitting in the waiting room brains her with a book from across the room and mutters, Go back to hell where you came from, you old warthog. After Mrs. Turpin comes to and goes home, later that night she is given a vision. O'Connor writes, a visionary light settled in her eyes. She saw the streak as a vast swinging bridge extending upward from the earth through a field of living fire. Upon it, a vast horde of souls were tumbling toward heaven. Here O'Connor describes, in terms we should never use again, a procession of misfits and left-outs, surely intended to offend. But it's what she writes next that catches me every time. And bringing up the end of the procession was a tribe of people whom she recognized at once as those who, like herself and Claude, had always had a little bit of everything in the God-given wit to use it right. She leaned forward to observe them closer. They were marching behind the others with great dignity accountable as they had always been for good order and common sense and respectable behavior, they alone were on key. Yet she could see by their shocked and altered faces that even their virtues were being burned away. In making us into the people that God wants us to be, there is a refiner's fire that will take place for each of us when the things that are in the way will be gone. And that is as God wishes it to be. Because we cannot cling to the old and believe that we are doing the new thing that God is calling us to do. Are you scared yet? You should be. Because if we ever claim to speak for God, we must be very humble about what we say. And we must see that it brings God's people in and does not push them away. Because God won't be nailed down. God won't be sewn up. And we may find even our virtues are being burned away because God is alive and God is doing a new thing. And thank God for that, or else we wouldn't be here. God is love, and Christ is Lord, and God's story of redemption is never finished, which is why I love the way that O'Connor ends the short story. In the woods around her, the invisible cricket choruses had struck up. 
But what she heard were the voices of the souls climbing upward into the starry field and shouting, Hallelujah. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Pilate, 
He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. Let us with gladness offer to God the gifts of our labor, life, and love.
this season of Easter rejoicing, let us offer our prayers and thanksgiving for the church and for the world. Eternal God, for the well-being of your creation, that we may promote its ability to offer praise to you through spacious skies, bountiful seas, verdant lands, and precious creatures great and small. O God of love, we pray, raise us to new life in Christ. For the life of the church, that our generous witness may broaden your table as all find a place to live and grow in love. O God of love, raise us to new life in Christ. For the welfare of your world, that all leaders and people, young and old, will strive to live together in harmony while serving the common good. O God of love, raise us to new life in Christ. For all who suffer any violence, pain, or grief, for victims of gun violence, that they will know the comfort of your presence as you wipe every tear from their eyes. O God of love, raise us to new life in Christ. For the love made known to us in Jesus Christ through this community, for this and all other blessings, we give you thanks and praise. O God of love, raise us to new life in Christ. For all who have died, that you will bring them to the fullness of your joy, where mourning and pain will be no more. O God of love, raise us to new life in Christ. For so many blessings and for answered prayers, we give you thanks through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray these things and the prayer that he taught us together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.
first hymn we sang today was by Harry Emerson Fosdick, who was the founding pastor of the Riverside Church in the city of New York. It was founded largely with the money of John Rockefeller. Now the story goes that when Rockefeller approached Fosdick about being the pastor of this new church, Rockefeller, the eminent capitalist, and Fosdick, the founder of the social gospel movement in the United States, Fosdick said to Rockefeller, how can I ever go to my clergy friends and say that Rockefeller is one of my congregation members? To which Rockefeller replied, you think you have it bad? I have to go to my clubs and to the business boardrooms and say, that Harry Emerson Fosdick is my pastor. <laughs> Wherever we come from, there is something we have to give up in order to follow Jesus Christ. For some people, that is homophobia. For others, it is white supremacy. For some, it is the addiction to guns in the United States. Whatever it is, if it is in the way of God, let it go. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord, lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.